0: This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Feels. Feels is a premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. Become a member today by going to feels.com/no meat, and you'll get fifty percent automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. That's f e a l s.com/no meat.
1: This episode is also brought to you by Optimizers and their P3OM, a patented high-end probiotic designed to push out bad guys. Go to bioptimizers.com/no meat and use the code NOMEAT for 10% off.
2: Hi, this is Hope.
1: This is Kareem.
2: Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to NOMEAT Radio.
3: Dr. T. Colin Campbell, uh, a man who needs no introduction, especially not for our audience. I'm, I'm certain of that. But just briefly to say, you've been studying medicine and, and nutrition and food and health for what the better part of six decades. And I think for the vast majority of, of the people listening probably have read one or many of your, your books. So with that, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you this afternoon. We're, we're so excited for this opportunity.
2: I, you know, thank you. I briefly just lost lost your voice i'm back again now so i heard most of what you said but that's okay
3: well you know your history better than i do so i'm sure Mm -hmm. you don't need to hear it again um but let's uh well let me let me start by just saying how uh how important this moment is for me because i have to say you know uh to say this is a dream come true would be a lie because i never would have dreamt that Mm -hmm. i'd be interviewing you my journey to a plant based diet actually started with the China study, as it turns out. And uh, we, uh, my uncle, faced a terminal cancer diagnosis when I was in, in college. And uh, their doctor said, There's nothing we can do for you. You know, go home and, and prepare your affairs. And uh, again, I was in college at the time, but they decided that they didn't want to do that. And they stumbled upon your work in the China study. This was about 15 years ago and they transitioned their whole diet and had some great successes with a, a raw vegan diet battling what was you know stage four terminal cancer and and that left such an impression on me that even in college in Texas at the time I started eating a vegetarian diet and and needless to say it's really kind of propelled my whole career and and now here we are so it really is sort of a, a full circle thing and and thank you so much for the work you've done and, and again, the opportunity to talk today.
2: Well, Thank you. Uh, by the way, what happened to your uncle? Did I miss that?
3: Well, it's uh, an ending that I, I don't usually include in the story because um, I think you would agree, but, but I believe uh, he inevitably um, died of chemotherapy. So the, the sad ending is that um, they actually saw the, the tumors receding uh, he was a Vietnam veteran and was exposed to Agent Orange, and uh, the the cancer was all over his body. Um, and so again, there was no real course of of care that they were proposing. So they went for about uh, um, oh, and and they, he was given uh, weeks, if months, to live. Right, and uh, and in pursuing a whole food, plant based diet, um, they actually saw great successes, like I said, regression of the tumor sizes. Um, as well as uh, you know, I think it was something like six, seven, eight months, everything was going really well. Right. As you know, it was because he was uh finally eating in a way that, that worked for his body. Um, unfortunately they took that to the oncologist and the oncologist said, you know, well, you're doing your thing. I don't know about that, but what I do know is that we have these other tools. So why don't we give it the double whammy and uh, and do a course of chemotherapy in addition to all these dietary changes that you are are pursuing and um, as my aunt tells me and, and again, uh, you know the the details are fuzzy for me, but um, he fell into a coma almost immediately after uh, starting chemotherapy and passed away just after that so um it's hard to say what would have happened had he not done chemotherapy, had he continued just to pursue the, the uh, sort of detoxification, the new lifestyle that he had embraced. But that is a story that uh, I, I think about quite often in my work.
2: <laughs> well, that's uh, really quite an amazing story. Uh, you know, I've heard similar kinds of stories like that. And uh, I, I, I know you didn't, this is not the purpose of the conversation and we can go over if you want. I don't have any limit in time, but, uh, but in any case, uh, you know, uh, we haven't done research like that in medicine forever, almost. Uh, that's a big story in itself. It's part of the story in my new book that I have. Um, and uh, it's really sad. Uh, my youngest son, who was a co-author with me on the China study, he's a physician now. He actually has a study underway with advanced breast cancer with women on a whole food plant-based diet. Uh, and it 's been it's going so far it 's going quite well. I would I, I quite frankly uh, agree with your um suspicion uh it 's very sad, but that's what tends to happen. Chemotherapy is not what a lot of people like to think it is, right. but doctors in turn haven 't been trained in nutrition, so they tend to discount it that 's the problem um, right enough of that yeah. <laughs>
3: Well, uh, yeah, thank, thank you. Uh, and uh, it is a, a tragic story. And, and uh, like I said, it, it's really motivated so much of what I do now. Um, I then lost uh, a grandfather to heart disease. Um, and in supporting his end-of-life care, um, I was really exposed to just how uh, scary um, the, the uh, inpatient setting can be and uh and that's really when i decided to to dedicate the rest of my career to to trying to get the word out about these different uh um ways of healing and frankly the way that we all should be eating you know and and uh anyway Fantastic. enough about me <laughs>
2: Fantastic. Um, yeah
3: so so i guess just to take a step back and and uh and start with with the beginning for you i know this was um, in, in the 1980s, I, I just have a couple of questions about uh, your work early on. And then I would love to, to speak more about where we are today and, and the new book you have and, and sort of where you see us going in the future. Um, but something I've always been curious about because I can't imagine the sort of social pressure uh, that you were facing when, when, uh, when looking at that data that you accumulated in China in the 1980s and, and when you were beginning to publish your work. And I'm just curious, did you ever consider sort of going with the flow, ignoring the findings? I mean, I, I know you grew up on a dairy farm, so it must have crossed your mind at least once that perhaps it would be better for your own career uh, if you didn't you know, rock the boat, so to speak. Did that ever cross your mind? And what were some of the considerations that you were thinking about?
2: It crossed my mind continuously and never stopped. Uh, You're right, I was raised on a farm. And so I was of an opinion at that time, especially when I went away to graduate school, that the opposite was true. The more meat we eat, the more high protein we eat, the better we're going to be. And so you know some of that story. Uh, Eventually though, uh, I started my research career in the 1960s, actually before that in the 1950s, but I've, I've been at this a long time. And so when I got the formal research program going with NIH, and that was in 1969 to be specific, uh, by the time that uh, 1980 or so rolled around and I was on a national panel uh, on the whole question concerning diet, nutrition, and cancer, at that time I was becoming uh, rather convinced that uh, our work was going in the direction that you know diet was important clearly, uh, and so what it, the problem I faced primarily wasn't so much socially; it was professionally because in my profession, you know, they don't entertain ideas like this. And I was on this national panel at the time and I was pretty prominent, you know, in the news and stuff like that. I was in Washington on, you know, doing policy, giving testimony before congressional committees and stuff like that. So they really took it to me. They really took it to me and tried to throw me out of my society, They all kinds of things. Uh, so uh, talking about pressure, it. Started and continued for all, all the years since. As far as going with the flow is concerned, uh, well, I sort of, I guess I thought about it in theory, but I never intended to uh, not go. I mean, I intended to go where we're going because that's what our research is showing. And so by 19, um late 70s, or 80 or so, uh, we already started to change our diet. We did it gradually. I had a wife who really bought into this, we had children and uh, she really changed our diet a lot and so it took about 10 years so uh whatever social pressures were concerned they're there i know they're there (laughs) but uh there's something more important here i had to to stay with what i believed what i saw to be true
3: so i want to come back to the 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 slow transition that it took you 10 years uh like i said i i was vegetarian for many years Um, but, but, just one more question that I've always kind of wondered uh, you know when when you look back at the last two decades, three decades, even since the publication of the china study, are are you proud of the progress that we've made or or are you surprised and maybe disappointed that, despite the overwhelming evidence, you know, despite the clinical science, despite all of the the doctors creating these incredible outcomes, we still don't see, you know, wide scale change as much as I, I would have hoped, certainly. And and you have a much better vantage point over time. So just curious to, to hear your thoughts.
2: Well, it was a night, let me go back for a little bit. 19, it was 1978, 79, by the way, when I was on a uh, national panel again. And uh, I was asked at that time on the panel, I was on, I was a with a bunch of oncologists and pathologists. Um, it was in Washington. And uh, we, there's some stories started to emerge a little bit about nutrition at that time, certainly in our work. And so I had to explain that. I didn't want to use the word vegetarian. I'm the one who came up with the diet, the word plant-based. That was a uh, seventy-eight, seventy-nine. 79. Uh, so uh, at that time, then going forward, uh, uh, I forget what, what your first question was,
3: well, just generally how you feel about the progress we've oh, yeah. made or the lack of progress that we've made depending right. on depending on how you feel
2: <laughs> yeah i forgot but but in any case the reason i told you that little story because it was kind of strange to be honest about it in the late 1970s early 80s to even think about the possibility of using nutrition is using nutrition as explanation for that kind of disease uh so it, it was uh not known let's say it that way there was a small group called vegetarians at the time. Uh, I didn't pay too much attention to them. They, they were kind of opposed to my work on the campus uh, because I was using experimental animals. They didn't like that. So they actually were demonstrating outside of my office and my lab, to be honest about it. Uh, so I, I had to put up with that kind of thing. Uh, finally, when it rolled around, let's say in the 1990s, uh, then the New York Times came out with their article, which featured the story. There was a lead article on uh, it made news, a lot of news at the time. And then, uh, then a lot of people knew I had become a quack by that time, to say the least. And uh, so uh, I knew then that um, the, the vegan idea, and that was the first time I heard the word vegan, uh, that was just coming into play. And it was, uh, nobody was really saying that seriously. Uh, And so since that time, now that's 30 years ago, um, yeah, I've seen a lot, I've seen quite a lot of changes, usually referred to as plant based as opposed to veganism or vegetarianism. So, in terms of percentage of the population, it's said to be about three times now than what it was. At that time, it was almost none, So, I don't know what three times zero is. But so it's been slow. And uh, it's been slow in part, and that's the subject of my new book, by the way, uh, it's, it's been slow in part because of the uh, way institutions and the way history has played into this. I mean, it's, it's never, just the idea of nutrition has not been a very well-known, very popular idea. You know, doctors don't get trained in nutrition. There's not a medical school in the United States where they teach nutrition. So the doctors, as the public knows them, they have not no training in nutrition they're they're trained to treat illness primarily through the use of pharmaceuticals or drugs right,
3: right.
2: so nutrition is kind of strange to them so it's been slow going to be honest about it it's been slow going but still i, I think we're making progress uh, a lot more to be made and i talk about it in my new book but uh, right. we're getting there and thanks to people like you i mean that's really it's happening at the at the level of the public People just getting interested in discovering that this thing really works, but uh, we we haven't done a very good job in my science, and we haven't done a very good job at the national level in so as government or political issues are concerned, because we're running against the we're running against a huge industry, we're running against the livestock industry, we're running against the pharmaceutical industry, to say nothing of you know, the hospitals. The whole hospital industry, a lot of forces, a lot of forces, and they're the ones who control politicians. So it's tough.
3: Well, uh, I want to I want to hear a little bit more about that in particular. But uh, a couple questions. Uh, uh, and by the way, I've I've followed your work, like I said, since the beginning of of my career and even before when I was in college. You know, uh, and I never knew that you came up with the word plant based. So. We got to get that word out. We got to let people know that you're uh, you're the innovator behind that term.
2: (laughs) Yeah, actually, uh, there's been some surveys done on that, especially in industry, because now the word really is being used a lot. Uh, Absolutely. uh, I just saw a graph recently that from about 1915, I think, not that long ago, uh, there really has been an uptick in the use of that word across the country and around the world, to be honest about it that the the china study by the way has now been translated to into 50 foreign languages so that's, it's getting around yeah that's a measure of what's happening
3: that is uh to say the least 50 languages It it is getting around um i'm curious to go back you know uh you changed your diet over the course of 10 years uh how do you recommend folks today if if you do recommend people eat a plant-based diet, do you, do you recommend they go slow and gradual? Maybe not 10 years, but, or, or do you encourage people to go 100% overnight?
2: Well, if they're, if they're ill, if they've got problems, I'm for the 100% figure. Because, you know, the diet does work pretty fast. Within days, we can see major changes. So for those folks, yes, I say, get you know, go there, stay there. Uh, other people, I kind of leave it up to people to make their own decisions, but uh, the, the thing that I'd like to uh, mention, a lot of people don't know, is that when they first start using this diet, you know, it's kind of foreign. They, you know, they're slow getting into it. I'm not sure I can do it, et cetera, et cetera. But the interesting thing is that after about a month, if they really stick with it, let's say a month, maybe two months or so for most people, by that time, their preferences for taste change. And all of a sudden, they discover they start craving a salad, if, if you understand what I mean. And they start, yeah. as they start losing the, the, their taste for uh, other kinds of food. They're usually sugary, salty, oily. And, and pretty soon, that starts to go away. And, so, and I think a lot of people don't necessarily know that that can actually happen. Yeah. It's useful to tell people that. Stay with it and you'll see some changes, see, in addition to the, their, their, their improvement in health.
3: Yeah, no, I, I, I can testify to that. It is, uh, it is remarkable. I crave, you know, a smoothie, for instance, or a, a salad, as you said, and certainly I, I never used to do that, uh, but I just know I, I can feel it. When I go too many days or too many hours, Without some fresh fruit or some fresh vegetables, you know, it's almost like you right. crave that that refreshment, you know. Because I certainly am am uh, um, uh, liable to eat some of the more newfangled foods, you know, the the Miyoko cheeses or Beyond meats. And what is your take on those newfangled innovations, as I as I call it? Uh, you know, the the cheeses. I'm I'm not talking about cellular agriculture. I'm not talking about lab grown meat because that is fundamentally the same biochemistry as, you know, animal agriculture, right? The stuff on the prairie. Right. Um, so I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about the pea proteins. I'm talking about the soy based. I'm talking about the innovations that we've created to replicate the taste, but, but they are plants. How does that fit in? You know, what 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 can you uh, what do you believe personally, and what do you strive for in your own diet? Um, but just love to hear your thoughts on on how you think that plays into the the healthiest diet you can eat.
2: Well, as far as the protein itself is is concerned, surely those kind of proteins, the plant based proteins, they're going to be better. There's no question about that. Uh, if we want to just focus on exactly that that one nutrient. Um, on the other hand, the foods that are being made, uh, the so-called fake meats, or if you will, that are being made with plant protein stuck into them, uh, that's uh, it's kind of step in the right direction, but it's not necessarily a big achievement because they throw in a lot of other stuff in there too. Maybe the extra oil and salt and whatever, you know, to give it the kind of flavor they want to do. What what they want to do? Um, and uh, yeah. I can say it's a step in the right direction, but it's not going to be the same as just eating the whole food to begin with. Uh, so we, I, I can't really know, you know, does that improve one's health 80%, 90%, whatever, but uh, it's a step in the right direction.
0: Hey guys, this is Doug and Matt Fraser here. And we're going to jump in to thank our sponsors, Matt. I know you have trouble sleeping. We've talked about it a lot and I do too. In fact, getting in bed is probably when i become the most anxious i can be good all day and then i get in bed and all of a sudden all the anxiety comes rushing in feels is a premium cbd designed to naturally help reduce stress anxiety pain and sleeplessness and every night i just place a few drops of feels under
1: my tongue and i start experiencing the benefits one of the many things that sets Fields apart is their real human support. People have a lot of questions around CBD, the effects, the dosage amount. So Fields set up a free CBD hotline and text message support to help guide your personal experience.
0: I really like that because there are a lot of questions. You know, I think that a lot of people worry about, uh, you know, there being a high or a hangover or something like that. You don't get any of that through CBD. I've been using it very regularly for, for quite a while now. And, uh, and really, I don't know, it, it does make me feel better when <laughs> going to sleep. It does help. Feels has me feeling my best every day and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash no meat and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash no meat and become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free
1: shipping. Feels.com slash no meat. This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is also brought to you by Bioptimizers and their P3OM probiotic. There's never a bad time to boost your immune system, especially right now. P3OM are probiotics that improve your digestion and nutrient absorption, helping ensure your digestive tract and immune system stay strong and healthy. While many other probiotics on the market don't even survive your own stomach acid, dug P3OM is fully tested to make sure the probiotic strains not only survive in your body, but also don't compete with each other. So you're as protected as possible from the growth of bad bacteria and other pathogens. While other probiotics require refrigeration and often die in transport and on the shelf, P3OM doesn't need refrigeration at all. It's also been clinically proven to give you more energy, less bloating, more mental clarity, and to shift your metabolism into fat-burning mode. So if you're ready to boost your immune system for healthier digestion, go to bioptimizers.com slash nomeat. That's bioptimizer scom forward slash nomeat. By using the promo code nomeat, you'll also get 10% off your next order. So two things to remember, bioptimizers.com slash nomeat and promo code nomeat. Go to buyoptowizers.com slash no meat now and start living stronger. Don't forget those two things.
0: <laughs> All right, let's get back to, the, back to the interview.
3: I'd love to hear uh, more about your vantage point again. You have such a, a sort of longitudinal view of this movement and, and of society's relationship with food. And, and now your latest book, you know, it's funny. Um, I remember after reading the China study, uh, I'm a political science major so what I'm doing uh running businesses I I don't know so you know I, I guess uh I wasn't very good at school anyway I, uh, that wasn't uh um that wasn't for me love learning not great at organized education uh, <laughs> no, no. Um, but uh but so after reading the China study you know the 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 deep uh sort of questions that remained were exactly what you answered in the book whole, right? To understand the dynamics and the sort of power struggles between institutions that can so, uh, you know, kind of influence our eating, you know? So I'm really excited now because I I have a feeling that your your next book, your new book, right? Um, uh, The Future of Nutrition is going to answer the bigger questions now that I have about The relationship between healthcare and food so I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and and you started to say you know that it has so much to do with you know uh, big agriculture and the pharmaceutical companies and the hospital systems I'm curious if you would expand on that and and maybe I'll just give you one pointed question to to start with and that is um, what do you think if you had to identify just one thing one impediment to this transition where one day doctors will actually be saying you know you, you need to get healthy and you need to eat these these foods not those foods what what do you think that one biggest thing or, or maybe it's one or two big things that keep us from that future where doctors use food as medicine
2: well for one thing I'm, I'm happy to hear you're in political science you take some interest <laughs> in that so I got two or three answers, but one thing for sure that you may be familiar with. In 2010, the Supreme Court passed uh, or approved that's, uh, that uh, case was uh, uh, Citizens United. Sure. You may have heard of that case, uh, where they where the opportunity was then made available to very rich institutions and people to spend more money than they had, almost, you know, on, on politics and on elections. And uh, I think that's the biggest disaster that I've seen in my lifetime, by the way. And the reason that's related to what you're saying here is because uh, now we essentially buy politicians. We don't have the elections that we once had. I think Colorado may be one of the best states in the country for you know, keeping things in a straight order. But nonetheless, we, money plays a big role in, in elections, as we all know. Now, where does the money come from? It comes from the really the wealthy. It comes from the big industries, if you will, pass through maybe individuals or whatever, uh, and and that. And so, once once politicians have sold out to the highest bidder, you know, in order to get elected, that's who they represent in, in the uh, government level. I've seen that. I've worked deeply, and I was very much involved in national policy development. I've seen it firsthand. They, in turn control, for example, just to be specific, they control um, who's gonna be the secretary of agriculture. And the secretary of agriculture, for example, is looking after uh, big agriculture. And these days, it's factory farming, all that sort of stuff. That's where the big money is. They're the ones that's actually living off of, you know, uh, feeding us food that we ought not to have, but that's where all the power is. So in a sense, and, and to be really cynical, um, we, we buy and sell politicians essentially. They control who gets appointed to the key government positions. Like in the case of agriculture, they're looking out for the industry. They're not looking out for the people. We in turn as taxpayers are subsidized the production of the wrong kind of food and doing that for some time. So we, we actually help the industries as citizens to sell the wrong kind of food. We get sick. That makes more customers for the health system. So, in turn, you know the drug industry is like that too. So it's kind of a circular, very insidious, and and damaging kind of activity. So I think you're really asking how do you how do you break that cycle? How do you break that cycle? And I've got some specific ideas. Um, number one, uh, we uh, need to uh, insist that medical schools teach nutrition of the kind that I'm talking about, because after all, doctors are the frontline troops. We'll see, so that's number one, uh, and that's easily done. By the way, it's in the theory; it's easily done, because you know the government does support uh, universities and medical schools across the country to a significant extent. All they need to do is look at going to get more federal funding, unless you have this in place. That's number one. I think it could help a lot because a lot of doctors would like to know. Under, under the pre- present circumstances, physicians aren't paid for their services very well. This, this system is such that they have to rely on medical specialties to classify what they do with each patient. And they get excellent ex, number of dollars. Now the 130 medical specialties where they can, you know, tick off what, what it is they're charging. Of the 130 medical specialties, not one is called nutrition. I mean, can you believe that? So doctors don't get reimbursed for using talking about these kind of services, even if they knew. Some of them do learn along the way. So that's the second thing. The third thing, the NIH, which is the biggest research, medical research agency in the world, that they're the ones who funded most of my research over the years, there's 27 institutes, one for cancer, heart disease, and so forth and so on. There's not one called nutrition. So that's, that's one thing, just, you know, control the Citizens United, go back to the Supreme Court, revisit that, turn it over, because that's, that's right there is where a lot of it starts um and uh so i th- there's other things too the government and i've known this firsthand uh, because i o- almost as a part of it because i own the committees where these kind of things happen they the government gets away with telling the public basically to eat the wrong food it's good business now here now one more thing i'll, I'll say you're talking about is there a time when we might see some changes it's now I'm sorry for that long answer, but you put no, me off no. that's it
3: yeah I, uh, I have to uh, I have to think carefully because i I could listen to you all day and and uh there are so many uh elements to that answer that i I want to talk about so um let let us uh uh maybe go in chronological order and and go back to um your new book and and sort of the the moneyed interest and the ways that they uh, you know, influence our behaviors. Um, I- I'm curious because I-, I don't think there are many smart people um, who would argue against what you're suggesting about the influence money has in politics, right? Um, I think most people would accept the fact that uh, the more money you have, you know the more uh, publicity, right the more campaign events, the more advertisements, the more get out the vote efforts that you can pay for right so there there is an obvious correlation between um you know the 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 financial wherewithal and your prospects of getting elected right um, and obviously the larger the the uh, financial interests that are backing you um the more sway they might have in influencing you to appoint this agricultural secretary right um i don't think many people would disagree with that it's it's pretty obvious right um you know i'm i'm curious so uh do you think therefore well how do i say this without being too rude but i really want to get to the heart of the matter um do you think these people are 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 acting in what they truly believe to be the best interest of the country? For instance, do you think that these are people who grew up on a dairy farm like you, but they just haven't ever been exposed to the research and therefore they, they truly believe we should be eating that much cattle, right? Um, or, or do you think that it is a, 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 a almost uh, um, uh, sort, sort of malintent, right, where where these people know The truth that they're going to make people sick with these dietary recommendations and they're okay with that because it's driving money into the pharmaceutical industry and into the hospital systems and and you know the the uh the cycle of sickness and malnutrition not malnutrition the sense of starvation but malnutrition the sense of eating the wrong things do you, do you do you believe that there is is like i say malintent or a, a malevolence in this or yeah. do you think there, go ahead
2: yeah that's a that's a that's a fantastic question um uh, and uh let me try to see if I can work this in you know uh I talk in a way in which some people interpret that to mean I'm a conspiracy nut, you know that people are sitting around and just intentionally making wrong decisions just so long as they can make money and they're just being bad people. Uh, No, I mean, there's some of that goes on. Okay, let's let's give or take that, whatever, to whatever whatever extent that occurs. There's another word that better describes this, and we're all part of it. It's called paradigm. A paradigm, you know, is a sphere of thinking. We kind of think alike. It's what we've been living with why we've been educated, so forth and so on. I mean, there are certain ideas that are pretty sacred to most of the people in the country, one way or another. We don't tend to go beyond those boundaries very much. So the question is, where do paradigms come from? Why why do we collectively let things happen that we prefer not to, even though we confess some of what's going on? That's a story of history. And that's, by the way, the, the sort of the theme of my new book, you know, how did we come to believe, for example, that protein uh, must be consumed? Or we need protein from animals. That's, that's kind of a good question. Been around for a long time. And it's very interesting how that story unfolded and how it got into the system. We value it and so forth and so on. Why, why do we all believe that uh, we gotta really, we gotta have these drugs. We gotta invest in these drugs because they're gonna make us well. Well, sure enough, you know some drugs—they're they're really quite helpful. I'm not—I'm not against the concept of using drugs, but when we come to rely rely on it as a lifestyle, that's a different issue. That's an entirely different issue. So, when I'm going to answer your question, i, I think we're, a lot of people are living within a paradigm. They don't know what they don't know. That includes me too. I mean, I was raised on a farm. I—I I know. You know, I, my family and all—I was the first to go to college. You know, all that sort of stuff. I know what we all sort of knew. I didn't think of, you know—I wasn't thinking very seriously about nutrition. to say the least, I was milking cows. But you know, we we always were told and understood, "Hey, milk is milk is food from heaven." Kind of thing. Who's going to who's going to quibble about that? Somebody comes along and says, "No, it's bad." Well you know then, then people start looking at it out of the corner of their eye Who? Are you, what kind of character are you so i think you know in in terms of our uh, working towards developing a better drug for example that's the livelihood of a lot of professionals and a lot of other workers that's their job why what are they go, unless they know otherwise why are they going to sit there and really try to take down you know so, so their industry if you will everybody knows that you know we need a lot of protein why does it why would they want to say to control the production of uh cattle do you understand what i'm saying is it? sure. it's it's i call that a paradigm it's very yeah. very powerful and uh right. so
3: it's it's been a long while since and it's it's fascinating to think about it as a paradigm uh you know, I, it's been a very long time since it was It was a Kuhn, right? The sci- 17th century. yeah
2: Thomas Kuhn. You know, yeah, developed, yeah,
3: his, uh, his uh, scientific paradigms. Um, and uh, uh goes to show you, I learned at least one thing in college. Uh, but it's been a long time since I read that. So I'm curious, how do we, I know you recommended a couple of things like, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, an NIH uh Center for Nutrition Studies, right? Um, you know those things aside, you know, and, and certainly they would help, right? If if we were making available billions of dollars for nutrition science, uh, that word would eventually get out more, right? The the public media would start to discuss these studies, and and hopefully that would start to make the shift. But in the you know, in the context of looking at it as a paradigm. How do you change that that broader uh, perception, right? You mentioned someone looks at you, you know, from, you know, with the side of their eye. You know, an NIH center is not gonna change the fact that we have, you know, religious and other sort of mythical levels of, you know, of of connection and, and belief around, you know, things like milk and honey, right? Uh, how how do you change people's minds and hearts, you know, when they're trapped in this sign, you know, in, the, in this current paradigm?
2: Boy, you're you're asking good questions, very intelligent questions. I, I mean, it is a question of uh, re-educating ourselves as a society very clearly. Um, I'm I'm reminded just to sort of follow on what we're saying. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, uh Lyndon Johnson. Uh, when he uh, decided not to run for office again and uh, the right soon as he had left the white house um, he had a meeting with uh, a group of uh pharmaceutical company executives, right and uh i i first saw this report it was written in uh by the editor of scientific american in a business magazine at that time 1969 it was uh johnson comes in and he's talking to these uh, really leading pharmaceutical company executives, and he says to them, he says, well, boys, how do you like the way I spent your money? And they didn't say too much, and he said, you heard me. Do you? And he had a flip chart there, and he went on to show them. He says, you know, we, every year, we, we fight over how much money is going to go into this kind of research. And, you know, it's always give and take. You know, he said, we don't, it, we, we have to do all the time. We, we can have a steady budget. We don't need to worry about how much is there. We can have a steady budget. Certain percent of the total budget every year, we can study whatever we study. And here's what he said, John. This is according to the editor of Scientific American who actually was there and recorded this and wrote the story. Johnson says, he, Johnson said, if, if you, all of you, the 50 top companies, if you paid all of your taxes into a trust, in a matter of three years, we have all the money there in that trust. You know, instead of paying taxes, put in the trust, there's the money, there it is. We know how much it's going to be every year, and then you can study the best kind of things. But he said to him, he said, you know, you will not allow that to happen. Because he said, you own NIH, and you know it, and I know it. And so it was very blunt, just to say the least. And I have been very much involved in NIH. They funded my work. I've been on their committees. I've talked to the directors. I know it very well. That's absolutely true. So here's an institution that's essentially controlled to live according to a certain understanding. Let's call it paradigm. Drugs are good. Let's work on it. Let's get some more. Let's spend lots of money. And uh, look at at right now what the government is spending to try to foster the development of a new vaccine. The billions of dollars has been spent there. Yet, and we we don't know the answer to what's going to happen. I hope it's for the best, but we don't know. Um, And so, when you have all that stuff going on, and then you asking the question, you know, how what can we do? How can we get it turned around? This kind of thing, what you're doing right now, I have to say, that's in my view, that's one of the significant things. It takes time, and it really has to do with educating the public. I think because a lot of people just don't know this. They suspect it, like you said before. They don't find it too surprising, but they don't know, I think, the depth of the problem. And so, if they could just learn that this kind of, this kind of eating has such a dramatic effect on their health, and along the way, learn some other things, too. learn. You think if they do well, they're not going to spend a lot of money on, on medical care, which is killing, you know, it's economically driving this country nuts almost. Or, or if they were to know that uh, all that livestock we're raising because of that good protein, if they knew that's not necessary, uh, that, that's related to environmental problems, that's emerging. So there you have it, you get, we got some big, big problems all just all coming down to just basically what do we know about nutrition what do we know about the food we're eating and what effect it has on health i don't i don't know how we can get there faster but we got now we got this kind of thing you know podcasts and you know electronic media and all that sort of stuff to convey information you know in 30 seconds around the world so we we got some technology available that i think we can probably have a a greater impact, on what's been case, what's been uh, in, in uh, what's been the case in past years, who knows?
3: Well, I th- I think you're you're spot on that it will be education, right? Because ultimately, yeah, I mean. ultimately, you know, as you're mentioning, we have a hundred million people in this country alone that are pre-diabetic or diabetic already, you know, and in the next ten years, that's going to bankrupt the country not to even mention the pain and suffering and early death and all the you know comorbidities that stem from you know such a devastating metabolic disorder but also just you know thinking about the financial ramifications if you know 50 percent of our GDP is going just to keep sick people alive you know it is going to force some some very deep conversations and We just have to hope that the education comes first right because ultimately you know it will come down to individuals choices and and whether or not there is a sort of groundswell of support for these these natural interventions as opposed to the the drastic technologies that we have to otherwise develop just to keep people alive you know um and obviously, I you know where I stand, right? We we have an app that helps people go plant-based for this reason. You know, um, we're trying to get the word out as as fast as we can. Um, so so now you've you've uh, the, the the arc of your research, you know, uh, um, I, I can clearly see sort of tracks with with my own questions. Like I said, after the China study, my my first question was if this was true why isn't anyone else talking about it, right? And you answered that with your book, Whole, right? Obviously now we're, we're dealing with, you know, some of uh, the concepts that we just talked about. Um, what's next for you? It doesn't look like you have any interest in retiring. So I've got to ask, what is the next frontier? What is the big question that you're thinking about today?
2: Well, the coronavirus, uh, COVID thing has forced us to think a little bit differently, what we do and what we don't do. Uh, we're probably going to do a lot more of this kind of thing, you know, podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, I've got a number of our family have gotten really into this. It's kind of exciting. Got a son who's a physician, he's doing a testing, stuff like that. I'm sort of involved a little bit with him. He runs his own show, of course. Uh, but my oldest son, he's the one that produced the movie called Plant Purination. Sure. Now he's uh, creating another one and he has, he's got a company. I, I well, Be careful. I, I'm, I'm not on here to be advertising a company. I know that. But uh, he has a new line of food. It's all dry goods that is very easy to cook and put it in there. And it's very simple, very fast. And it's also he's doing it uh, That's it, really uh, beats anybody else's price. A lot of flavors. His wife is a great cook. And they got something going right now that i am I'm... I'm I mean, regardless whether I'm tied to it or not tied to it, I just want to tell them about it, because it's really good, it's very tasty, and it's fast food, all kinds of varieties of tastes. You can, and the cooking is just almost like instant. It's that fast. Uh, so that kind of thing. You know, come up with some innovative ideas. That, that's all whole food, by the way. It's been tested. It really has a dramatic effect on people's health. So that's something, you know, you do research, like, you know, you do, you invent some stuff like that. Uh, and then we have an online course. I don't really know about that or not. It's called uh, nutritionstudies.org. Mm-hmm. That's with Cornell University. That's really doing quite well. Uh, just before this, we had our, uh, our holiday party and we we already got 19 employees in that, are you know, sort of uh, teaching courses online about plant-based nutrition. An, that's all non-profit, I don't, I don't get anything out of that. Uh, you know, and, it's a, and I got friends, you know, that uh, do other sorts of things, yourself. I mean, look, look what you're doing. Uh, so, uh, I, I don't know what I'm gonna be doing. You're asking me, what am what I gonna do? Uh, I'm gonna write some more, uh, three or four papers right now that have been invited to write, write to. You know, something, op-ed pieces maybe. Stuff like that, just telling about, especially about the the COVID problem and the nutrition, because that's an alternative way to think about that. That people right. may wish to to they uh, wish to try.
3: You you mentioned a new uh, paper coming out in Nature. Uh, I'm curious what you can tell about that. You
2: no, know, I, I I can talk about that as long as I'm clear. You know, uh, as to whether or not it's been published, and I will say it's not yet been published. It's been submitted to a top journal, and I'm rather, rather confident that we can publish. That's not the issue. Um, but still, that's, that's, that's my clause. <laughs> uh, but the evidence that we got, you know, as I say, from 30 years ago, involving almost 9,000 people, clearly shows that people consuming more plant foods, they get immunity to the virus when it infects them because they form antibodies. That's what we measure, prevalence of antibodies. And they don't get the liver cancer that's caused by that virus. In contrast, the people consuming animal food, and it was only a small, they only consumed on average 10% of what we do in the West. It wasn't enough that I thought made any difference. But I'll be darned. You know, the people consuming animal food, they did not form the antibodies. The virus that came, chemist remained active and it formed liver cancer and it kills people. I mean, that's, that's pretty dramatic. It's pretty dramatic. And uh, I, uh, we'll see where it goes. I mean, people can come back and say to me uh, truthfully and honestly, say, look, you haven't, you haven't had a test of that. Well, I'm not sure how we can really test that idea very easily, to be honest about it. Uh, a lot of things aren't necessarily fully tested. You have to re- rely on the information we have, and the information we have is highly statistically significant. You know, and everything sort of falls together. So uh, that's uh, that's a way to get immunity. That's a way to get immunity. And I think, uh, and the problem is too, it goes beyond the COVID uh, virus. There is evidence that we're getting viruses more and more frequently as years pass. And we might be getting some virus, I'm sure it will surely happen. We'll come along and there'll be another one or two that'll just play havoc. Uh, at the first, uh, we've got to figure out how do we handle these kind of viruses when they come along unexpectedly and they turn out to be worse than what you know might have been anticipated. Right now, we've got some pretty good technology going that We can develop tests fairly quickly, and we, we can test people if such a thing like that happens. We can test them fairly quickly, and uh, in those circumstances, quarantine them, if you will. Uh, so it's a fast reaction, but at the same time, if we eat the right food, we'll manage it. We'll manage
3: it. So it always comes back to food, right? <laughs>
2: no, it does, it really comes back to food. I, I, I just uh. I don't know, I was raised on a farm and we, we, uh, we, we, we uh, milked our cows and butchered our animals and, you know, and raised our crops. So I was always, that's what farmers do, you're tied pretty close to nature. And uh, so you pay attention to that kind of thing. But in those days, everybody had gardens too. That, that's, a, that's a very useful thing to do, I must say. Yeah. Get, in, I, I, get with the garden business.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well just one, one, one last question, and then we can wrap up again. Uh, you know, you've been so generous with your time. Um, what, for the people who are listening, do you have a, a request for them? How, how can we help overturn this current paradigm? You know, how, how can we get the word out? What, what, what's your request? If you've got, you know, 10 to 1000 people listening,
2: well, they can take a course, one thing, but uh, my, uh, we have a group uh, of right now, uh, they're called wellness groups or pods. I don't know if you've heard of those or not. We've got about 400 pods here and abroad. They're, they're community groups that get together, you know, work together, doing things on behalf of this message. And uh, we've got about 250,000 people in those pods now. And uh, so we've got a network that were just now beginning to uh, develop. And they're all over the place. And these are local groups who are enthusiastic about uh, that kind of thing. So join a pod, form a pod, whatever. And then, uh, you know, and they can get together if they do nothing more than share meals, talk about it, show a film. It's kind of fun, it's a social thing. So, you know, you can kind of make fun that way for community. But they can also get, you know, get active. Maybe uh, making some requests on their government, or getting petitions signed, or you know, or maybe doing other things, doing things for for uh, groups who are in need. Uh, we've got a lot of people who are, are in need, don't even get enough food, let alone good food. And uh, a lot of things we can do, I think, here you know, at the community level. Uh, and our organization, the online group that we have, is. The address of that is nutritionstudies, plural, nutritionstudies.org. And it's a nonprofit, as I say, it's in partnership with Cornell University. In fact, it's really part of the university now. And so we we try to make it really good quality stuff. And we've had, uh, I don't know, we've had about 20,000 graduates to take the whole course. Wow. Quite, quite a few and it's really going quite well. So um, well, a- anything you okay. want to do along those lines, or or you know think up something new to do, you know, what <laughs> what is the world is wide open, and there's yeah. a lot of people doing various sundry things. It's quite nice.
3: Yes, well, well, it, it all starts with you. So again, uh, this has really oh. been full full circle for me, and uh, an and incredible. Uh, Opportunities. So, thank you so much for being here, for sharing uh, your afternoon with us, and, and for sharing your wisdom. I really appreciate it, Dr. Campbell.